Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. We got a lot to cover today, and I want to jump right in with the story. Carter, you're going to love this. Um, Here's what it is. There's a story, and here's the man's name. Salvatore Guru is the guy's name. You're going to see a picture on the screen. And Salvatore Guru is an artist, all right? And this artist, he just recently sold his work entitled Low Sono. That's right, there you go. Uh, Low Sono meaning I am. He sold it for 15,000 euro, $18,000, okay? The work is an invisible statue for $18,000. And the way it said in the instructions, in order to display this, you have to have, it has to be in a private residence, five feet all the way around to display nothing. So I I made this joke. It's a bad joke, all right? It is a preacher joke. But I've got plenty of these on stage, so if you guys want to make a deal, I'm your guy, all right? I can cut you a deal. It is, what gets me is I just don't understand. Here's what he says. It says, the artwork finds its form in its own nothingness. What in the world? Sometimes I just don't understand what people believe and buy into. And it feels like, how do you not see that this is just like emperor's new clothes? You remember the story, right? How do you not see this? I had an experience um, when I was younger, we were just starting to grow our family, Ashley and I. We were getting ready to have, have a child. And here's the thing. We had, at the time, a Saturn Ion, small, itty-bitty car. And I can remember, trying, I'm six seven, trying to get in that car. I had to put the seat all the way back, lean it back a little bit, just so I'd fit. Like, we got to get a new car. Okay, so what do you want to get? Ashley wants an SUV. I want the biggest truck I can possibly find. So we landed on minivan. <laughs> um. So we get, we get this minivan. Well, before we get it, I'm, I see all these online and I'm, I'm starting to meet with sales reps. How many of you guys love car shopping? All right, perfect, nobody. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I sit down with the sales rep and I'm talking to him. And I said, look, I really like this price. I'll take it, but here's what I want you to do. It's really close to that 100,000 mile mark. I want you to change the timing belt. Can you do that? Yes, we'll do that. Now I'm sitting in this room. I got my dad over here. I got my father-in-law's in town over here and my brother-in-law's with me. We all hear this guy say, yes, I will do this. We got it this price. I go home. I come back the next day, the very next day. And he's like, man, here we are. I got the paperwork ready for you. You're going to drive off the lot in your brand new hot ride. Cause it's a minivan. Um, hot ride. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I said, well, did you, did you do the hundred thousand mile maintenance? Did you change the timing belt? He's like, now we didn't, we didn't agree to that. We didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't say yes or I was like, wait a second. Let me, did you hear him say, did you hear him say, you said you were going to do this and now you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, man. You're lying to me and I'm gone. And have you ever been in a situation like that where you feel like, look, you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. It seems like you're trying to deceive me making me believe something that's just not true. That when I first moved here, you guys might appreciate this. Looking at that row of you kids, and I see some steads over here in Grunholz. When I first got here, I was, we had a a Sunday night and I was really hungry and I said, hey, where's a good place to go eat? You know what they told me? Culver's. 
they lied to me. <laughs> I'm hungry. I don't care about quality. I care about quantity. Six, seven, this body needs to eat. Give me some food. I get there and I get a normal meal. I get a little burger and, and some fries. I'm like, they said, oh, it's really good. It's really good. You're going to love this. I just basically like want, want gone. And I just realized, I looked at the bill and I was like, whoa, you said this was going to be good. You should have got the cheese curds and the ice cream. You should have said that from the beginning. You should have said, you don't want to be lied to. Noah, you know what I'm talking about. Milkshake. We talked about this. Ask Noah about a milkshake. You, you find him later. But here's the thing. I don't want to be lied to because I don't want to be taken advantage of, right? You don't want to be taken advantage of, and I don't want to be taken advantage of either. And maybe you think of it this way, and, and let's go more serious here. Maybe it's sometime you hear about this elderly couple gets a phone call and says, hey, somebody has, um, somebody, your, your information has been stolen. Your identity has been stolen. I need you to give me your your bank account statements and all this information so that we can protect your assets and hopefully reclaim some of this. And on the phone, this is what happens. You see this elderly couple, they believe that person. They believe them. So what do they do is they begin because they believe this lie they've been taken advantage of and now they're wiped out. All because they believed a lie. Let's go even another step back here, a bigger, a bigger step back here. If you look at this, there's a picture of Thailand. I was in Thailand for a while and all the temples in Thailand, was, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them look like this, especially the stairways. And it intrigued me because if you look at the stairways, it goes up to this massive and beautiful temple. What you see here is it's lined by what on the handrail? That's a serpent. In the Bible, a serpent is used in Genesis to talk about, and what's the serpent do? It deceives. Now here you have a whole country that is bought into Buddhism and it seems like they are wrapped around this one lie. And the thing is, when you believe a lie, it has effects. There was a Christian, um, a Christian writer and teacher who was interviewing this Buddhist monk. She had risen pretty high up in this, this religion. And as he's talking to her, he realizes that she has a family. Now Buddhism teaches to separate. You're trying to separate yourself from all of these earthly connections. Why? Because those earthly connections and desires will eventually lead to suffering. So distancing everything helps alleviate suffering and get you this place of nirvana, right? This, this feeling. As this was brought, and they, this came up in the conversation, as he discovered that she had kids, she began to cry because she had distanced herself on, intentionally from her children and you could see the pain. She had bought into this idea, this lie, right? She bought into it and it was crushing her. And could you imagine, not only is this lie harming her, but can you imagine the kid who is no longer has his mom? Let's go modern day. Let's keep going here. Afghanistan, stuff is going on right now. You have a group called the Taliban and they have bought into this lie called Islam, and not only that, but this strict view of Sharia law that says I can do these heinous acts to people and mistreat over and over again. Why? Because I believe this. And we know this. Whatever you believe, it impacts how you behave. Doesn't it? Look at what they're doing. They believe that this is okay to do and look at them mistreat these people because they have believed a lie. I entitled this a few good men. You ever watched the movie? Has anybody seen the movie, A Few Good Men? 
There you go. Dude, that's what I'm talking about. Mr. Arvin, I like that. Two hands. It's a good movie. Jack Nichol, I always get these, Jack Nichols' son, right? He's the actor. Jack Nicholas is the golfer. Jack Nicholson's son, right? He's on the stand. Tom Cruise comes up to him and you see Jack Nicholson say this. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to. You want answers? I want the truth. Oh, come on, say it with some passion here. I want the truth. You want me on that wall? You need me on that. You remember the quote. Come on now. I want the truth. This letter we're looking at, this is 1 John chapter 2. John wants to expose the lie and tell them the truth. Turn your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read through this, and there's a lot to cover in it, so stay with me. All right? A lot of stuff to cover. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. All right, here we go. It says, dear children, this is a term of endearment John is giving to these churches. He's writing this letter. And if you really want to get the most before we jump in, you want to get the most out of this? This was written as a letter to multiple churches in Asia. It was meant to travel around to them. And he's writing this as a term of endearment to them. So here it goes. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. If they had belonged, they would have remained, but their going showed that they didn't really belong. But you have an anointing, this Holy Spirit from God himself, the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I don't need to write to you again because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the anti against Christ, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you also will remain in the Son and Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. Now I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in him. Remember that. I want you to remember that phrase, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, that's a lot we just read. Let's unpack some of this. The first thing is this term antichrist. Mark Sweeney wanted me to use him in this sermon, and I said, you better watch out, buddy, because I'm talking about the antichrist. Antichrist. This is an idea. This is a term. This is a term used... You see it in Genesis as the snake that deceives. You see it in Daniel, there's this, this idea of a beast that rises up. And at the last days before Jesus' second coming, in Jewish apocalyptic literature, it says this beast will rise. And basically it's gonna lead all of these people through various like random signs. and They're gonna lead them astray. All these believers lead them away. In Revelation, John picks up on that same language of beast and mentions the same thing again. John is the only one who writes Antichrist. Paul says man of lawlessness. So you have a lot of this idea was permeant and, and the people there knew what he was talking about. 
But John here says, you, you know the Antichrist is coming, but matter of fact, many Antichrists have come. So let's see what he means. And if you look at the text, it kind of clarifies who this, these many Antichrists are. Here's some characteristics. You're going to see them on the screen. First thing you see throughout John's letter here about this Antichrist is that this man is a liar. These people are lying. He says they're also trying to lead you astray. One of the big ones here is that they deny the humanity of Jesus. That's going to be big. We're going to see that in a second. And if you go into chapter four, and I want to read this for you. Chapter four, verses four and on, it says this. You, dear children, are from God, talking to the believers in the church. And you have overcome these antichrists because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You've heard that verse before. Verse five, chapter four. They... Antichrist are from the world. Now listen to this. And therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. Understand that who this person is then, this Antichrist he's describing, not only denies the humanity of Jesus, but is also then encouraging a worldview that is not Christian. It is not Christ honoring, Christ following. Do you understand? Okay, that's pretty important. Now here's what we're saying. What you believe impacts how you behave. And I think we all would agree with that. So in this case, why was this belief so big? What was going on? Well, let's, let's put it in, into perspective here. They believe that God is good, but that mankind and the body, all this material stuff is bad. So they have this kind of dualistic view. God good, body bad. So they treat that then, if I believe that, my behavior then is I will punish I will either, one, punish my body. It's bad. I have to correct that. That's number one. Or the more popular version is this. If the body's bad and I can't change it, well, I might as well lean into it. Whatever the body wants to do, let's just go ahead and do it. So it led to licentiousness. In other words, I'll, I'll just sin and go ahead. Why? Because body's bad, it's going to die anyways. This is good, though. You can see, all of a sudden, a belief majorly impacted a behavior. This is what a commentary said on it. It said, the fact is that for many religions of that time, obedience to a moral standard was not important at all. Social morality was at a low ebb. Immoral sexual practice was widespread. Religion did little to check these trends. Sometimes it even encouraged them. If I could put it in modern terms, the church, supposed church, began to look more like the world. That's it. They st- it was like, let's lean into it. We'll do whatever the world says and more wants and we'll do it. Sounds good. Now, John's role here is he wants to know the truth, right? He wants to expose the lie. So here's how he starts. He says, you're denying the humanity of God. Look how he starts his letter in John chapter one. He says this. You said you're denying the, remember, we're denying the humanity and who Jesus is. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen, we have looked at, we have touched. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm an eyewitness. You want to expose a lie? Easiest thing you can do is know the truth. John knows the truth. He experienced it. I walked with Jesus. I had fish with Jesus. I laid it on his side as we ate a meal. I saw him crucified. I saw him die. I saw the blood come out. I saw the nail marks on his hands. I saw him as he came back to life. You want to lie that to me? You want to tell me he didn't happen? Come on. I saw it. The first thing you want to do and the first thing he does to expose the lie is say, I know the truth. You can't fool me. 
The second thing he does is he relies on the character of Jesus. He, he just highlights it. He says, look at who God is. If you go into chapter one, it says this, in God is light, in him there is no darkness. Look at his character, look how good God is, right? Here's this, immoral, oh man, he is such a great, great God. Look at his character. The reason he's highlighting that is because he knows this, what you believe impacts how you behave. If you're gonna say you follow this God who is righteous and good, then he flips the script and says, now look at those who are lying to you. How are they living? He is highlighting the inconsistency. You say you follow and believe this God, but look at how they're living. If you don't believe the eyewitness testimony, look at their lives. Why would you ever wanna mimic that if you're following that kind of a God? And he highlights the inconsistency because that's what happens. When your belief does not match your behavior, people get confused. The example I've given, and I'm not leaning any side on this, but you know this is true, and I'll tell you why it's true. Because we live in the era of COVID, and depending on what you believe about it will be determine how you behave, won't it? I don't care which way you lean, and that's okay. But when these two things do not line up, it leads to confusion. I know, buddy, me too, I feel it. So let's say this, John exposes the lie, what's his response? Here's his response. He says this, remember the basics. Remember what it was you believed at first, at the beginning, remember that. Hold on to the basics. And then he says this phrase, remain in him. Now he's used that phrase for you who've been in the church before. John wrote a gospel as an eyewitness of Jesus. And in that, there's a section there in Jesus' latter days where he meets with his disciples. And he tells his disciples, look, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. In order to remain in God, what Jesus instructs them is to obey my commands. Obedience here. So he's saying not only remember what you believe, remember those basics, but also obey. Obedience is huge. You gotta obey. Now let me tell you why all of this matters to us. I read this, and this is from uh, the Christian Post. It just wrote this. I'm talking about the lies that come up and all this stuff that we have to wade out and, and expose. Here's what it said. More than 60% Christian Post of born-again Christians in America, believers, between the ages of 18 and 39, actually believe that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are valid paths to salvation. 60% of born-again believers are saying that these three guys, not one, but three, are valid paths to salvation. 30% of those say that they either believe Jesus sinned, just like all the other people, or they're not sure. You know what that tells me? Is there's a group of young adults who do not know the tenets of what we believe. Now, you gotta think here. Belief impacts. Now, let me tell you why, as a high school minister, this matters even more. What I see in high school is that a student's faith, right, is relative to where their parents' faith is. What's this tell me then? If that's true, then it's not just young adults and young students who don't know what they believe. It means there's older folks. It means there, there's these families that you don't know what you believe. And there's an impact here. If, the, if you're big, and I, I put this in my notes here. If the church is the primary pathway a family's using for spiritual development and regular attendance is now what they say is once a month, 
I get you one hour out of the month. If that's the primary pathway, then what are we doing with the other 719 hours? Do we know what we believe? Because there are huge ramifications on this side if we don't. Do you know what you believe? Because if you want to expose the lie, the easiest way to do that, and what I would tell everyone in this room, easiest way, know it's true, right? You won't be blown back and forth by any wave of teaching because you know what is true. You know what it is you believe. But do you? See, this is not uncommon. You see what happened in the past. This happened in the church multiple times. Lies would rise up. And what would the church do? They would meet together. And they would, after they met together, they would come up with these creeds or these mottos to pass on to more and more so that everybody could get out there and know what they believe. Now, early on, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, one of the earliest, I wouldn't say creeds, but traditional phrases, Paul picks up on it. This is just a few years after Jesus died. They had already developed, this is what we believe. But more of these creeds come. You have the Apostles' Creed. You have the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian, the Chalcedonian Creeds, all in response to lies. So I think if we learn from the past, we know the lies are gonna keep coming up. But we gotta know this one. We gotta know what we believe. You wanna expose lies, you gotta know the truth. Second thing I would say. You wanna expose lies. I, well, I'll tell you what, let's, before I go to the second one, let me tell you why that matters so much. Let's go back to that. You need to know what you believe. Let, uh, let me give you an example. In John, 1 John 2, in verses 15 through 17, if you've got a Bible, it says this. I'll read it. Here we go. John mentions these three aspects. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16, for everything in the world, listen to these three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from this world. You wanna know why you need to know what you believe? There's an issue we're dealing with even right now in our culture. When I see her lust of the flesh, I think of sex, sexuality, gender. And before you answer this behavior question of what's right and what's wrong, you really got to settle for yourself this question of who is Jesus? If you claim like I would say, Jesus is the Lord and creator. He is the savior of all because he's my Lord, right? I get that. If he is really God, if he really did create, then I see him as the great game maker. I think C.S. Lewis may have said that. The great game maker. If he designed the game, he gets to pick the rules, right? He gets to make the rules for how this works best. What that means is God chooses what is right and what is wrong. The greatest sin in Genesis is when man, it's not that he bit an apple, it's that man said, I'm gonna determine what is right and wrong apart from God. If God gets to tell me what is right and what is wrong, then when I go back to this question of sex, sexuality, gender, then I have to ask myself as a follower and believer, what did God say? And here's what it is. With sex, sex designed from Genesis, it's for a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage, originally designed that way. Anything outside of this, we would say is wrong. Did I say that? No, that's what I see is what I believe Jesus says. You with me? When it comes to gender, that's not something I get to choose. I'm not saying it's something you may feel, but something I get to choose. What did Jesus say? He said that God created them, male and female. He created them from birth. Now here's why. I don't get to determine that, but here's where I will warn us as a church. And I think we actually pulled some world in this. 
God gets to define man and woman. But sometimes I put on stereotypes onto what those are, to where if I'm a man, I gotta beat my chest, I gotta lift some weights, I gotta eat some meat, gotta blow some stuff up, gotta drive a nice car, gotta get a date a nice car. You see what I'm saying? We had all this stuff on. But what if there's a boy who's struggling because he's more maybe like David in the Bible? Maybe fair complected. Maybe he likes poetry and playing music like David. And what if he doesn't fit this stereotype that really isn't biblical? And now he starts to feel like maybe I'm not this man. Maybe God messed up. If you don't fit the stereotype, we don't go with the stereotype. We go with what did God say? You got to go back to what did I, what, what, what do you believe? What does Jesus tell me? That's where we start. You got to know the truth. Second thing we said is if you want to expose a lie, look what John did in his, in his letter here. He did it this way. You got to know what you believe. But he also said, look at your behavior. Because what you believe impacts how you behave. You got to live it out. You may not be able to convince people with your words, but you're going to convince them with your actions, hopefully. He said this, John said this, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. All of those who are in God must live as Jesus did. Must. You want the world to know, that's it right there. You want to expose a lie? A lot of times, I don't need to hear what you're saying. I'm looking at how you're living. If you're telling me I need to invest in stock, the stock option, it's like, oh, it's a surefire thing. It's like, well, betting on ponies, baby, that's the one. Like, this is it, this is it, do it, do it, do it. But you don't do it? Why would I? Makes no sense, right? The belief has to match the behavior. Last thing I'll say, you wanna expose a lie? Last thing, you gotta ask good questions. Ask good questions. We know this to be true and we just said it. When belief does not match behavior, it gets confusing, doesn't it? And what I would say is when you see that confusion, it's time to get it out of the shadows, draw it into the light. Let's talk about it. Help me understand. Gregory Kukul wrote a book. It's called Tactics, in which he exposes the inconsistencies. And this is what he says. He says, when bizarre ideas like these are obviously implied, do not let them lurk in the shadows. Drag them into the light with a, requ a request for clarification. If it's confusing and belief is not masking or uh, matching behavior, draw that confusion and bring it into the light and let's study what's going on here. That's what John did. Let's do that. Three questions I would say, I'm gonna have them up here and I'd say, write these down, put them on your phone. It's good to have. You wanna expose the lie? Here's three things. First question, what did you mean? You said this, I don't, you wanna get understanding. Before you criticize or critique anything, you better understand it. And this first question helps. What did you mean by that? Second one, how did you come to that conclusion? You say this is okay, but wait a second, how'd you get there? You're looking for proof. I had an adult leader call me to task on this one, and that adult leader was 100% right. I didn't have my ducks in a row. And man, humble pie does not taste good, right? Last one here, have you considered, when you've talked through these questions and you see the proof and you see where it's going, they're starting to have light bulbs click on. Wait a second, this isn't matching up. And then you're saying, well, but have you considered, and now you can lead that conversation. It's so subtle, but it is very effective and it's not offensive is what I love the most. You wanna expose lies, ask good questions. Here's how I wanna wrap this up. We said this from the get-go and we said belief 
impacts behavior. And we say, if belief does not match your behavior, it gets confusing. But I tell you what, when your belief does match your behavior, people don't get confused, they get curious. A buddy of mine, I've shared this with students, you guys maybe have heard it too, but I had the opportunity to go to Jordan. This was like, man, 10 years ago, something like that. And it was a great opportunity meeting a lot of people in the Middle East. At the time, Syria was just exploding. And all these Syrians were coming over to Jordan. My missionary buddy invited me over, says, you gotta see this. I said, okay. You see, these Syrians, their homes were getting bombed. And they had really, you got two minutes to get a trash bag and throw whatever you want to take with you in it. Because after that, your house is gone. So when they come to Jordan, they have nothing. Now, my buddy, he's a Christ follower. You see, he believes in Jesus. And he heard Jesus' words to say, look, I am called to love my neighbor. I'm called to love one another. And I've got these people coming over that they're Muslim, but they're my neighbor. And they don't have a place to stay or food to eat or blankets and places to sleep. So what does he do? If he really believes it, he begins to say, I'll find you a place. I'm gonna get you blankets. I'm gonna get you a mattress. I'm gonna provide food for you. And when those two things, your belief and your actions, they add up, people get curious. And you know what happened with those Syrian Muslims? It wasn't their brotherhood of believers that come around them. What they did is they invited this Christian man in and they asked him, why would you do this for us? They got curious. Jesus says the church united and living it out, living out this truth and this wrestling back and forth each and every day. When we do that together, people will get curious and they're going to see the way you love one another. And that will win them. That shows them. But now we have to ask a question. What is my life saying? Does this, my behavior, does it actually show what I claim to believe? Or is there a disconnect and are people confused? I wonder how you would answer that question. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word through your, your disciple John and how that can impact and help us as we walk along. I pray, Father, for myself, that my actions may always back up and support my beliefs. And when they don't, I pray, God, that I have people in my life who will gen gently correct me. I wanna be effective, God, and I want people to be curious about this, this God I love. Help me live it out, because it's hard. Father, we as Romans says, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you. And I'm praying, God, you do something amazing with us. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.